Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. We don't take a week off on Memorial Day weekend. We're here and we're live and it's good to be with you here tonight. We've got two separate hours, two totally different subjects. For a reason, they are both equally important. As uh, here we are sitting, you know, Memorial Day weekend where we honor our service members, those who have served, those who have sacrificed. Uh, and so we say thank you to anybody who has served and we, we thank you for your service and for your sacrifice. And not only you, but your families as well, because it does take a toll on the families as well. And speaking of war and those who have served, there's the continuing war that has now reached the three-month mark uh, between Russia and Ukraine. It tipped off in late February, and uh, here we are in late May. And I'm just wondering if things might escalate uh, because of the fact that uh, Russia has still not overtaken Ukraine and uh, the casualties just continue to mount and the property damage continues to go up. So if they were to escalate things is is where I want to head in this first hour tonight. If they were to escalate things, how would they do that? They would probably do that with nuclear weapons. And I've heard from a lot of you in the past couple of days that this is this is really uh, kind of got you thinking a little bit. And I want to bring in James F. Ponder, who has been here before on the program and is going to share some very, very important vital information for us tonight. He has a B.A. in history, a minor in astronomy. He enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1975 and was an officer from 1978 to 1987, where he taught Soviet tactics and strategies Russian and Warsaw Pact equipment and specialized in their nuclear and space systems as well as deployment of forces. But that's just part of his credentials. 
He's also co-founder of EMP Survival Systems, but he's not here to sell anything tonight. He's here to share his wisdom with us, and you heard his credentials. Here he is. James, what is the message that you would like to give the audience tonight? And welcome back. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and thank you for letting me speak to your audience about something that's really important to me and important to your listeners, because uh, this, this concerns us. This is something that could happen to America, and I very much don't want it, and I think any preparation we do that does not occur. It's kind of like when you're carrying a decent life insurance policy for your loved ones and you get to the end of the year, you don't say, damn, I lived another year and I had, and I, I lived right through that $1,500. So this is something that your listeners may want to pay attention to, to give themselves a little bit of a heads up in case things go sideways. And there are nukes. I I suspect if it occurs, it'll only be one or two that land in our hemisphere. There are ways to survive it. This does not have to mean instant death unless it lands right over your zip code, which case that's okay. Let's start there because terribly unfortunate. Probably the number one comment that we've been getting is you know, you, we can't survive this. If this were to happen, this is doomsday. It's doomsday for us, and it's doomsday for them. But history uh, says that that's not necessarily the case, right, James? Correct. Far more people die from flying glass and falling concrete and just bad water the the few days and lack of food or bad food in the few weeks after a nuke then die from the explosion itself. It's kind of like people talking about the U.S. Civil War. Oh, it kills 670,000 people. Yes, in combat and the diseases that occurred in combat and the wounds that led to death. That was about 670,000 Americans that killed each other. But over the next five years... Three million Americans died in the depression that occurred because we wiped out each other's farmland. Those of us in the south, the militaries, intruded way into the north. The north burned a lot of southern farmland, and people starved. There were a lot more deaths from the result of the war than from the war itself. All are tragic, of course. But the thing is, if you think about... If the nuke doesn't kill me, why should I let flying glass or falling concrete kill me? I can live another day. And we have two examples from this, one nuclear and one non-nuclear. That is the the double tap of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Hurricane Katrina. And I'm going to address both of those to your audience in this hour. And in those cases, what, the government warned the people about how they could survive the crisis to come? That is correct. Uh, For at least two days over both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, before the bombs went off, in, in the week before, there were two days of leaflets dropping saying, if you see a flash, drop, get under something, get behind a wall, don't walk outside. And the number of people that are out, that when they saw a flash, they stood up and went to the window and looked outside, that was pretty much a 100% fatality rate. But if 
they read the leaflets and they got down and got under something or got against the wall. Yeah, it was miserable for a few days until they got food and water brought to them. But the thing is, there were many, many survivors of both cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Again, a non-nuclear catastrophe, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. There were people prepared and people not prepared. And I don't mean, oh, yeah, I've got a Generac generator and, uh, you know, 500 gallons of diesel and everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people that were under that understood living in the hurricane belt. My wife and I grew up in Miami, just a few miles apart. And it was always interesting. You'd see the people that had moved down to Florida. This is in the early and middle 60s. And moved down to Florida, and they had no idea what hurricane season was. They'd see some of it on black and white television, and it's like, oh, yeah, fine, there's a hurricane coming. And they realized that once it happened, they were without power for one to three weeks. And this happened to my wife and me when we were kids several times, and it happened to us several times as adults. And it's really inconvenient. It's, it's not life-threatening unless you're in the path of like a Category 5, like Hurricane Andrew, that did kill a lot of people, unfortunately. And Hurricane Katrina killed a lot of people, unfortunately. But a lot of people, after the fact, died that didn't need to at all because they didn't have basic preparedness. And I want to discuss nuclear preparedness because we can all hope and most of all pray it never lands in our country or the Russians never try to solve one of their battles that aren't going well with a nuke. But if it does happen, if it doesn't go off right over you, you can live through it. You can make it. And I'm going to show you how, because I worked with civil defense for a while when I was in the military and I worked around, I didn't ever see a a, a surface nuke go off, but I worked with the training and with people that were trainers that had been there and done that in the environment. And I learned, and I wish to share this with your audience. Not only leaflets, but PSAs that were uh, over TV as well that told people, literally, get under your desks. If you're at school and there's a nuclear blast, get under your desk. My wife and I were both taught to duck and cover because the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was in the autumn of 1962, I was eight years old and my wife was a year, about a year ahead of me in school. And uh, we were just a few miles apart and we did the whole, in, in Miami, which where it started was from because Miami was ground zero for the uh, Soviet intermediate range ballistic missiles that were being deployed in Cuba at the time. Uh, we did the duck and cover under our desks once a month. If you see a flash, don't ask a question. Don't think about it. Get under your desk, put your hands over your face, close your eyes, and open your mouth. And the reason why you open your mouth is it, when the physical shock wave comes through, which is high-pressure air, it'll blow out your eardrums. If you open your mouth even a half an inch, it'll equalize. The, the air will rush into your mouth as well as your eardrums, and then you won't have broken eardrums. It'll be incredibly loud, louder than anything any of us have experienced. But the thing is, you won't lose your eardrums. Yeah. So bring this home for us, James. 
What could lead to something like this? As I mentioned at the beginning, here we are three months in Russia. I mean, they've bombed a couple of targets here. They've bombed a couple of targets there. You know, they've, they've lost uh, thousands of, of men and women. Uh, the other side's lost tens of thousands of men and women. The property losses just continue to mount. The casualties and the bill and and the relief that the U.S. is paying uh, to Ukraine to, I, well, I guess, keep, keep them in the war. Russia could decide at some point that uh, they just want this over and that they want, uh, you know, to do that with with a nuclear strike. Yeah. Lay, lay out some of these scenarios for us. The primary scenario that I have seen that goes along with my old school Cold War Soviet training is if they start to lose a battle for an area they really need but they need they need occupation of it they don't necessarily need the factory intact or the port usable early this time tomorrow or anything else they need that piece of land to occupy with their armored forces and infantry forces and use it for going further into the target country in this case Ukraine they would pop an aerial tactical nuke that is a small nuke. It is not a city buster. It is not something that's going to flatten, say, an area even larger than the beltway of Washington, D.C., or the loop around Los Angeles, or the entire San Francisco area, or uh, all of, say, downtown Houston. Nothing like that. Those were all major targets during the Cold War. This is something to fix an area... Uh, uh, about a square mile or two two square miles, not two miles square, which would be four square miles. But it, it would just flatten everything. It would stop the resistance. It would locally, not in a large geographic sense, but just locally, EMP all the electronics. It would turn everything off and crush the utilities, running water, telephone, cell, uh, electricity, everything like that. But you could roll in within 12 hours because the the fallout would have been upper atmosphere and there would be then no more resistance on the ground. Those troops shooting missiles at you and your tanks uh, have suddenly disappeared. But that's in a very localized area. If it's more than a couple of miles from you and it's a tactical nuke like that, uh, yeah, you're going to have a hard time hearing things for a while. But if you ducked and covered and you have a few days supply of food and you have water to drink, then you're going li- gonna to live another day. You're going to live long enough as, as Pearson and Shaw, the famous writers that wrote the book Life Extension, A Practical Scientific Approach, their great line is, live long enough to die of something else. Well, if you duck and cover correctly and you are just far enough away from the nuke because it's not going to be a city buster, you're going to live long enough to die of something else. And that's important. The, the key is for the not, as many of, as possible of the non-combatants to survive this. And NATO, so, NATO the U.S., the U.K. would respond how to this? Well... Let's assume my scenario was Russia would use one small tactical nuke to uh, com- to complete to what would be called in in artillery. I was artillery for a while. Service a local area that is flatten 
a local area Decimate. from their side. Then, yeah, then the the, the NATO uh, the NATO people would say, well, let's let's look at this now. Let's carefully uh, assess this. Of course, there'd be round the clock NATO meetings, and the listeners must remember that half of NATO, really a little more than half of NATO, is the United States. We're the big dog of NATO. We formed NATO. We brought countries in to defend against the rise of the USSR after World War II. Well, if no NATO assets specifically were nuked or immediately affected, there would then be what's called high-level diplomatic considerations. And it's like, do we do we really want to do something to Russia? We have 4,500 nukes on our side, not counting what the British and French also have. And it's kind of like they didn't nuke anything of ours, and nothing's gone off in Russia. And Ukraine so wants the bear, to be, right? Why? Yeah, yeah. This this gets back into Mao Zedong's infamous quote: "If you're going to poke." The tiger, you have to use a long enough rod, a long enough stick. Well, we don't have a long enough stick uh, with Russia right now because they have uh, the bear has a lot of nukes and they don't want to use them either. I, I heard I heard a a Soviet expert uh, above my level, a linguist that was also trained in Islam, and he said. Quite literally, if you're on jihad, you're not interested in seeing your grandchildren. If you're merely a communist with your finger on the button, your idea is, am I going to live long enough to see my grandchildren again? Are they going to bounce the rubble on our side if we bounce the rubble on their side? And, I mean, bouncing the rubble is bombing something that's already been bombed before. It's a, that's an old World War II term, but it's uh, more so in, in the nuclear era. So they're going to talk about it and talk about it some more and everything else. And it's kind of like there will be uh, international loud condemnations of Russia. And they'll say, don't do that again or we'll launch. And the Russians will say, we'll do it anytime we want and probably not launch again. But there is one scenario where one or two tactical nukes are released on the east coast of the united states those of you on the west coast you have other things to worry about uh like uh china but i don't think the the belt of your listeners on the west coast are going to have any personal knowledge of this but if let's say they just bomb one of the rural areas of i-95 along the coast of the united states or let's say hit the overseas highway uh, that goes from Miami down to Key West or something like that. Yeah, there's a nuke going off in the United States, and this is possible without a full exchange. Of course, we'll bomb a factory of theirs in Siberia or something like this. This is a low-level exchange where we point fingers and curse at each other and have to spend another trillion or so rebuilding things. But it is possible without a full exchange i hope it doesn't happen i hope your listeners are laughing at me a year from now when there is no exchange and there's no more war in ukraine but just in case there is you need to know a few survival and civil defense things that i want to bring to uh, their attention right now go ahead james well first off if you see a flash duck immediately 
open your mouth slightly. If you can, put fingers in your ears or thumbs in your ears and don't open your eyes for a few seconds. Stay down. If you're worried about being embarrassed, I'd rather be embarrassed in front of some people and just saw a big flash rather than be killed by flying glass because more people are being are going to be killed by saying, gee, what was that big flash? And then having a piece of concrete or flying glass kill them, then actually die under the direct bomb itself. That's, that's the way it works. Uh, but you need, if you live in a hurricane belt, as we do, you need, you need to think like somebody that's grown up there. You're listening to one right now. And that is, if you don't have at least two weeks supply of canned food and refrigerables you can eat your first two or three days uh, when the power goes out, and then another two or three weeks of peanut butter after that, uh, you're not paying attention. Something like that so you're not having to fight for the food lines when the government tries to bring food in, as happened in Katrina. The, the old school people that were been there, done that, and they're exhausted about hurricanes, and they don't want to put up with any more hurricane season, but they also don't want the disaster to befall their family. They will have a chest freezer that'll keep food cold several days after the power goes out, and probably 20 jars of peanut butter and canned milk and a lot of canned food and everything else they just rotate through. I'm not talking about preppers that have uh, a million and a half calories per person for several years saved up. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about end-of-the-world preppers. I'm talking about regular preparedness for hurricane season. You can do this, and it's not that expensive. James, I want to have you lay out for us, again, not only uh, some of these continued tips on how we can survive a nuclear blast, but about how the infrastructure of civil defense has broken down. Give us a teaser on that. Sure. Uh, it's very interesting. In a in a 12-and-a-half-year period, I, I actually, when, when you wanted me to give this presentation, I had to enumerate how long it lasted. I know exactly when civil defense started falling apart and exactly when it ended. And it, it, it surprised me. The whole thing occurred in 12 and a half years. Civil defense was a very real, robust part of American society that when you were growing up, uh, I, I didn't live in the city of Miami, but I was right outside of it for uh, almost 50 years. You'd see signs on the wall, civil defense emplacement, sea management, go to, uh, it would be go to shelter below or go to basement. You could only have one level of basement in Miami because of the water table and because of Well, the it's advice the that actually still holds true today. Hate to cut you off, but we'll continue with James F. Ponder. When the bombs drop on Into the Paranormal. If there was a real nuclear attack, it may sound something like this. The following message is transmitted at the request of the United States government. This is not a test. A nuclear attack was commenced against the United States. 
officials have been uh, warning, warning that Moscow may use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. It plans to deploy its newly tested intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of reaching the United States by its autumn. The U.S. government has not seen any changes to Russia's nuclear force posture yet. You would feel a shockwave hit you. You would feel a heat on your face. It would be an awe-inspiring sight. It would be terrifying, but like nothing else you would ever see in this world. This is just a bunch of saber-rattling that is unsubstantiated by really any concrete actions. Into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Could be saber rattling, but uh, when you're poking the bear, sometimes the bear uh, acts out. And that's the situation that we could be dealing with. Tonight, my guest is James F. Ponder. I'm Jeremy Scott. It's good to have you with us here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, James, please uh, get back to the demise of civil defense. As I was saying, civil defense used to have signs all over downtowns of big cities as to where people could run to if they saw a flash or if they were out and a tornado struck a major storm hit suddenly like they have uh in kansas and texas and he just needed a place to go and shelter you couldn't get home you couldn't go to your own uh, i uh, i've seen some of the uh Cold War personal bunkers and backyards, and they were quite interesting. And of course, that would help that family survive. But let me get back to the complete disappearance of civil defense uh, in a twelve and a half year period. And I'm surprised that it happened in that time frame. The basic civil defense infrastructure fell apart, and it was in 1989. Berlin Wall comes down, and Many other Eastern European countries, Czechoslovakia, Poland, of course, you had Lech Wałęsa there leading the Solidarity Revolt. You had a number of other uh, countries, Hungary. They just were tired of the Eastern Bloc, tired of being in the Warsaw Pact, and they wanted to have free elections. And this was more than the Russians could manage since they had just gotten through putting up with strategic defense initiative from President Reagan, the Chernobyl disaster, uh, Presidents Reagan and uh, Margaret Thatcher putting muscle on Russia, Pope John Paul II with his moral authority really causing a lot of grief in Russia and a lot of turning back to the Orthodox Church if that was uh, even possible in Russia, and it became so. and. That led to the, really, the oligarchs that were running Russia and, and the main party said, we can't hold things together. We have to have a controlled collapse. 
So on a very memorable Christmas day, Christmas afternoon in Moscow, 1991, the hammer and sickle came down and the tricolor, the, the three stripes of the Russian flag went back up. Uh, and Russia was the first country to leave the USSR and Kazakhstan was the last just a couple of months later in March of 1992. In 1999, there was a huge focus on the Y2K program and uh, the Y2K problem, rather, the uh, the problem of rolling over from 1231-1999 uh, to 0101-2000. And that caused a lot of computer problems. And let me tell you, that was an actual problem because I was one of about 200 members of the U.S. Treasury's team hunting down Y2K bugs, and they were coming in from all over the place. So we got that fixed, and that drew attention away from civil defense. And wait a minute, there are all those Russian nukes that aren't necessarily pointed at us anymore. Then in 2001, everybody remembers 9-11. Jihadis killed 3,000 Americans at the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And two days later, by 9-13-2001, there was complete focus on the war on terror, which then leads us to what civil defense program? Now, when I was in the Army, I, when I was in active reserves, I had to deal with the Miami and Fort Lauderdale civil defense people to make sure we had their phone numbers, they had our telephone numbers, uh, are, are they up to date, do they have fresh MREs, the, the, the military uh, food rations, you know, how, how many thousand pallets of food rations do you have? Do you have access to generators to pump water for the people that are going to need fresh water? We did all that back in the 80s. That was still a thing to do in the 1980s. But this was before the Berlin Wall came down. When I was in a forensic lab in Fort Lauderdale in 2005, I uh, I asked I, I was I was new to that job I, I I had a lab there and I was working computer forensics and I asked my very new boss the associate SAC uh, the the associate special agent in charge he ran the Fort Lauderdale office which uh, a very big seaport port of Ever Port Everglades which is the tenth largest seaport for passengers in the United States. It is just north of the biggest pa passenger port in the world, Port of Miami, for passengers, not cargo. So I said, uh, Tony, what are, what are your plans what, for this office? This is such a large customs office. What are your plans for civil defense? He said, what do you mean, what are my plans for civil defense? I said, well, you're supposed to interface with civil defense because... I mean, there there could be a nuke. I mean, they're talking about a, you know, the, the, the experts are talking about a scud in a tub from Iran or uh, a nuke in a uh, shipping container or something like that. And he gives me this blank stare. And he said, I've heard of all those things. But he said, do I have a responsibility of that? And I said, well, when you took over this job, what did you get a list of civil defense contacts? No. 
And this really surprised me. In fact, I was kind of astounded that by 2005, civil defense was not only hard to find, it was extinct. And I don't know at what point it completely disappeared with funding and manning and staffing and phone numbers and do this and don't do that and the lists and the warnings to citizens, but it just disappeared. And I was asking a pretty high-ranking Fed. Uh, and I, I asked his deputy about two or three months later. She was really quite sharp, and I, I thought she might have an answer for me because she had a completely different background. I said, I, I got a, Mary, I got a question for you. And I, I said, just give me an answer off the top of your head. I said, we get intel that there's a ticking nuke in a shipping container at Port Everglades. Now, that's three miles from where our office was in downtown Fort Lauderdale. I said, what orders do you give? And she said, are you serious? I, I said, yes. What orders do you give if we get word that there's a ticking nuke at Port Everglades? She said, everybody get in your, in, in your vehicles and head west. I said, no, that's, don't we have a, a team to deploy to them? Do we have anybody that's going to assist FEMA? Or any, she said, no, we, there's no briefing on that at all. And so I got double confirmation here that people that had more experience, not, not talking computer experience or Russia experience, but government interface infrastructure experience, they had no idea about civil offense, civil defense, and why they should know about it right now. So it was extinct by 2005. So at this point, Jeremy, your listeners need to be their own civil defense. They need to have, uh, it's hard to put away water. We have, we have a well on our property. We live pretty rurally. But in town, uh, most of the water is gravity fed. So the first thing you do after you pull your fingers out of your ears is if they're still running water, fill up your bathtub. Fill up your sink. Anything that can hold water, fill it up. But you should have at least a month's worth of canned food, of peanut butter, of bread stuck in the back of the freezer. Although peanut butter has been recalled uh, of late, so I don't know if there's a coincidence there. We bought two of the big cans. I won't say the brand at mm -hmm. some big box store. I won't say the name of that either because it was a good deal. Uh, but come to find out, that's now been recalled, a supposed salmonella. Um, and so uh, what you speak of, these supplies that you're telling people to stock up on, and in cases like baby formula, I mean, that's good if it's available. Um, the baby formula thing bothers me greatly and uh, I there's there's a, a a level of lack of competence then there's a level of incompetence and I, I I don't know if this is the time for this but Sir Ian Fleming the famous writer that wrote the James Bond series that was so good he was intel during World War II, and he was actually a, a pretty famous spook for the crown, gathering intelligence uh, from the Nazis and about 
the German Navy. And a famous line of his was, once is an occurrence, twice is a coincidence, three times is an enemy action. And I don't know where on the scale enemy action is with baby formula, but it's a bigger deal than most people realize if you don't have small children in the house. And uh, another incompetency coming out of Washington was the story was last week they were bringing 70,000 um, 70, tons of baby formula. No, it was pounds. From, it was pounds. It was a pathetic ah, ah, 78,000 pounds, which is that like is uh, enough for a couple of days. 70,000 tons would be 200 wide cargo air, aircraft yeah, they brought one coming aircraft. in at once. This was one aircraft. It looked like a C seventeen to me. I couldn't I couldn't tell by the front of it. The back of it looked like a C seventeen. And it was seventy thousand pounds. So when you consider the water And the second flight was a hundred thousand, so we have hundred and seventy eight thousand pounds that has been imported so far. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is a non zero event helping some family somewhere for short term, but what is the impact going to be on a mommy with a child with a specific allergy or two youngins and she can't lactate correctly? I mean, it, it's uh, we had two well, children, and, well, and it, it's it's a very big deal when you can't get certain products. Or think about how many broken households there are these days, and there is no father figure, and the mom you know can't take time off uh, taking care of the kid to go out and look for the baby formula. Tragically true. Exactly. That's that's a very very so, big deal. And James, this leads here, us this leads us to uh, what happened during Katrina and what's inevitably playing out yet here again and has played out time and time again is that you can't rely on the government to get you what you need. You cannot. You cannot. Now, will there be logistics to bring in to a targeted area? Food, medical supplies, water, everything like that, of course there will be. But it may be a week, or in the case of Katrina, it may be a month, but it, there will be Or they may send it overseas to the illegal, to the illegal immigrants uh, before they send it here, as happened. Right, right. And, and remember, Ukraine's border is sacrosanct, but our border with Mexico is not. That, that, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I have a real problem with not taking care of Americans first. And um, I probably shouldn't comment any further on it, but you, so, you have made a point to your listeners, yes. 30 days? Should we maybe go beyond 30 days? If you can. If you can. But, but keep in mind, anything that you have puts you ahead of people that just have something in the pantry. But don't you tell people about, what you have. <laughs> I'm sorry? But don't tell people what you have. Well, I, I think now coming from a, a Christian background as I do, Fight Club is not the kind of movie we would watch all the time for entertainment. But I think that everybody should see Fight Club at least one time because the uh, in, in spite of some of the bizarre humor and activity in it, the, the underlying fact is the key about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. 
You can be a member of it. You can participate in it. You're an active in it, but you do not talk about Fight Club. When you do your preparations, you don't broadcast it because you will then have somebody show up at your front door with a wagon and a shotgun saying, fill it. And you don't want that to happen. Or worse, they come in the middle of the night and and you don't get a chance uh, in which to defend yourself. James, we have maybe five minutes left uh, in our conversation. Can you sum up uh, everything you've told us so far into that five minutes? There was a, a, a famous book written in the, in the 70s called The Age of Uncertainty. It was an economics book, and it, it, the title alone applies to so many things. I have seen so many changes over my uh, in the grand scheme of things, relatively short life, and I have, uh, we have all witnessed so many changes from decade to decade, and that which goes on now would not have been even believable uh, a few years before the internet. Uh, addictions and, and, and behaviors and school shootings brought on by online bullying. Well, what is that? Well, it occurs on this app on my smartphone. Well, what's a smartphone and what's an app? Uh, there is there is so much change going on. I can't I cannot recommend to your audience anything that's going to happen beyond the next five minutes. But if you look at what is going on right now, a war that so many people saw coming and nobody did anything about, and nobody tried to diplomatically stop. Putin. But then again, when uh, this is something I didn't bring up, when the wall came down and East, the Eastern Europeans broke away from the Warsaw Pact, one of the things that was promised to uh, Gorbachev and to Putin, excuse me, to Yeltsin and then Medvedev and then Putin was not one foot closer, and that was we would not move NATO one foot closer than East Germany because they had just thrown up their hands and they said, well, we're going to lose East Germany completely to NATO. But they had no idea that they were going to lose Hungary. And look at the Russian point of view. They're losing Hungary and Poland and uh, Czechoslovakia, all of these allied nations of theirs, they're now having them as NATO countries with missiles pointed at Moscow. And the Russians view this as an existential threat, not just Putin, but the elected class, not just the elected class, but the people of Russia. And I understand that because we in the United States and the members of NATO broke the deal. Now that's the background and there's nothing you and I at our level can do about it. But we can take level, we can take protective measures to make sure our loved ones live through this. And the thing is, if the bomb goes off two states away and you lose power and thereby you lose water, no phone, no internet, you're still going to have a major problem. You better have a minimum of 30 days supply of food. Uh, any medicines that a family member needs, some canned things that don't require refrigeration, basic first aid supplies, and a willingness to keep your mouth shut.
I want as many of our people as possible to survive the coming unpleasant times. And I can't say what it is. I, I don't know what it is. If I could predict things, I'd have bought Apple and Cisco back when they were zero. But I, I can't see more than five minutes into the future. But if you do these things, it's almost a guarantee something bad is going to happen where you're going to need that food supply, even if it's just unemployment, even if you just lose your job for a couple of months. If you have food put away, you're at least not going to have a grocery bill while you're out looking for another job. So, friends, listeners of Jeremy's great show, you've been uh, I've been honored to be on this show several times before. Please, friends, take care of you. Put aside some. Every time you go to the grocery store, a little more. Take inventory. Be careful of you. And just make sure you've got more than a month's supply to get through something that could happen and hopefully never will. And hopefully people are going to think back on this and laugh at me. And I would revel in that. Please understand me. James, and again, for those who are just joining us, remind the audience how few nuclear weapons it would take to uh, implode the, the power grid in the U.S. Uh, two in the upper stratosphere, lower exosphere. Uh, two to take down the power grid uh, reliably for most of the United States. Five small nukes to get a guaranteed wipeout of North America, all of southern Canada, all of the continental United States, and the top quarter of Mexico, grid down. It ain't coming back for a while. Yeah, how long, and, how long would it take to rebuild uh, a grid meltdown of that magnitude? Um, optimistically, two years. Uh, realistically, four or five. There have been several attempts to rebuild the grid. President Trump funded it. It was funded before. Uh, there have been, I, I, I mean, uh, say what you will uh, uh, about him. I know a lot of people uh, view him as a curse word. President Trump had a line item in the 2018 budget for the planting of one trillion trees to reduce carbon dioxide. Now, I don't know if that line item got fulfilled or not, but that's a pretty good way of taking care of carbon and not screwing up our pumping of natural gas and oil. So I, I don't, the, every president thinks about, well, we, we need to do something about the power grid, either make it more robust against EMP or put more power stations out there or put the switches in that are more secure and more reliable from hacks. It never gets finished. So assume James, it's still broken. Thank you for a life-saving wealth of information tonight. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Jeremy. When the bombs drop, you want to be prepared. We'll be back with more Into the Paranormal. There's another hour of Into the Paranormal coming up. Hold on to your seats.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.